Welcome to the Joma Preventative Health Podcast, hosted by the Jewish Orthodox Women's Medical Association. We provide you with up-to-date information on health topics geared towards the Orthodox Jewish community. This podcast content is provided for informational purposes only and is not intended as medical advice or as a substitute for the medical advice of a physician. Hi, my name is Dr. Elisa Minkin. I'm a general pediatrician, and I'm also chair of the Jewish Orthodox Women's Medical Association Preventative Health Podcast. And I'm really excited to be here today with Devorah Levinson. Hi, Devorah. Hi there. Hi. Um, Devorah is a referral specialist and the director of eating disorders division at Relief Resources, a free mental health referral service that caters to the needs of the Orthodox Jewish community. She has a strong background in communal work in both the United States and abroad. Her role at Relief is to provide mental health referrals and information to families and patients, and she serves as a conduit to appropriate and effective care. Her work consists of researching new clinicians, facilities, and treatment options, as well as promoting cultural sensitivity to clinicians who have little or no experience with Orthodox Jewish patients. She has presented on the topics of mental health and eating disorders in the Jewish community at schools and hospitals in the tri-state area. She has also been involved with the National Eating Disorder Association and has a strong focus in eating disorder prevention, which is what I want to focus on today. Thank you so much for joining me, Devorah. Thank you so much for having me. So let's start with just explaining to our listeners, they may not have heard of Relief. I actually refer to Relief at a lot of my podcasts when I want to give a resource. It's my number one um, resource, but not everybody knows. So can you please start with what is Relief and what do you do there? Okay, sure. So Relief was founded about, I think, 16, 17 years ago now. Um, you know, there was definitely a very strong need, as there is in any community, for mental health resources. And they just felt that there were people weren't that didn't know where to turn, didn't know where to go. So in many ways, we, we set out to be a little bit like the consumer reports of mental health. You know, who do you call when you need to know who's a good therapist, who's a good psychiatrist? You know, you're, you may ask your next-door neighbor for a good pediatrician, but you're not necessarily going to ask them for a mental health professional. So what started out, you know, 16, 17 years ago, and, the, and people had even said, you know, no one's going to call um, or else to just be like a small organization in, in, in one corner of Borough Park has just exploded um, over this time. And we have offices in Israel, in the UK. Um, we have two different offices in, in Canada and Toronto and Montreal. And in the United States, we have in LA and in Baltimore and then New York, New Jersey, and even upstate in Monroe. So we do mental health referrals, exactly like what you had said. Um, you know, any mental health recommendations, um, treatment options, information, um, education as well, sometimes um, on anything from little kids who are having um, behavioral issues to geriatric patients um, and everything in between. And how do you find out who are good people to refer to? So it takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of time and a lot of effort. We do um, a tremendous amount of research. We try and um, always looking for good names. Whenever we speak to someone who, let's say, they'll call up and they'll say, I need a psychiatrist. And we say, who's your therapist? And they say, oh, I have a fantastic therapist. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that sort of, that's in, in many ways where things start from. But from there, it goes to finding out their um, qualifications, getting their resume. And we, m- most of the people we have um, that we refer to, we've actually met in person. Um, yeah. I'm really bad with the numbers now. And I, it used to be like of the 3,000 names we had, we've met about 1,700. I know it's even higher now. Um, so we try and meet these clinicians as well. We, we um, have periodic meetings with new 
um, therapists and new psychiatrists, new doctors, where we get a feel for them um, clinically, but we also get a feel for them as a person. You know, who's going to fit with them? Who's going to be a good, a good match? You know, with um, in the medical profession, it's really nice if you like your doctor, but bottom line is, do they know what you need to keep you alive and healthy? Right. Um, while in the mental health field, the therapeutic relationship has a lot more to do with the success of the treatment. So we really try and see, okay, who's going to be a good fit for this one? Who's going to be a good fit for that one? Um, and we've really learned a lot over the years as well. Um, you know, we are not mental health professionals and that's by design, not by default. My job is not to fix your problem. It's to send you to the right people who can. Mm -hmm. But with that being said, we really do spend a tremendous amount of time with our own knowledge. We used to go to grand rounds, you know, before COVID, um, you know, in, in, in Columbia and Cornell, um, we really have a lot of great clinicians out there, the top of their field who just really are just wonderful to us as an organization. And we can tap into and we can call and we can reach out to, we can ask them questions, you know, what would you do for such a case? What do you know about this? And, and we really have had opportunity to just learn so much so you know with all of that together I, I i feel very confident in our recommendations and we also do follow up wherever we can you know sometimes when it gets really busy unfortunately that that you know the follow-ups don't happen as often as we would like but we really try to follow up with all of our callers and find out you know what was your experience how did it go and we base those referrals on feedback so that's you know what we do how do you, um, how do people reach relief? I just want to make sure at the end, I want to give it again, but I want to make sure sometimes my end gets cut off. So. Right. So, uh, so we have, um, first of all, you can reach us online at our website, www.relieffelp.org. That's help as an H-E-L-P. Um, and you can start the process right there. You can schedule an appointment time with any of our referral staff. Um, to make a phone call so that you know when we'll be reaching out to you to make that easier. We're not playing phone tag. Or you can just dial the main number. That's the 718-431-9501. Um, and that leads you to everybody. So, um, you know, if you, um, you know, need something out of state or, or in the different country, it's got all the resources listed there. So that main number is really the best number to call. And we've got a great secretary, you just, you know, press zero and and you could reach her or leave her a message. It does get busy. That's the mm -hmm. one thing um, that is hard. And definitely now post, right. I don't want to say post COVID, mid COVID, COVID. Mm -hmm. you know what I'm saying? Like, we're, I don't know where we're up to with COVID, but you know, there's definitely been waves um, as mm -hmm. far as the need from the community. And we're really riding high right now. So it is taking us unfortunately longer. We are a nonprofit. We are a free organization. We don't charge for anything. And as are all nonprofits that are free, we're short staffed. So unfortunately it can take us a little bit longer to get back to people more than I would like. Right, so what would people expect? What as far expect? as like a turnaround time or as far as right. what From to the expect time when that you they call? call so they get a call back. Cause you're gonna put a call, you're gonna leave a message. You're not immediately gonna speak to someone. Right, right? so that's why the phone appointment system is really the best system. And that's what we've really been trying to fine tune. The phone appointment system, you know, you reach, you can do it again online or through the secretary, you know exactly when we're going to be calling. Right now for adults, because we have two main divisions, we have the adults or for anyone age 15 and older, and the kids division we do up until the age of 14, that's just sort of how we, we separated it. For the kids division, I think they're booking maybe four or five days in advance right now, again, because these things are real times are really busy. For the adults, you know, it, it could be a week. 
It could I mean, be this, a week. Right. So this is not a warm line or a hotline. People should understand they can't call up and get help immediately. Exactly. Like I said, my job is not to fix your problem. Right. It's to send you to the right people. If there, We do have an emergency, meaning if you call up and you listen to our voicemail, it says if this is urgent and may require hospitalization, please press 9. So sometimes, let's say there's a psychiatric emergency and somebody's got to go to the hospital. They just want to know, which hospital do I go to? You know, is it, you know, can you at least give me guidance on, on, on where to go or, or this is an emergency now, do you have a psychiatrist that has emergency availability? So sometimes for those truly urgent situations, we can, you know, sort of help them out with that. Or I've had, you know, because of my work with eating disorders, I have had situations where look, you know, somebody fainted um, or this is, you know, we have, again, we have had Sulla here now, where are we supposed to go? Um, and we do try and help with that wherever we can, but we never want anyone waiting for us. Right. No one should ever, no one should ever wait, wait around for us. You know, if you don't get a response, you don't get a call, you know, no one should ever say, well, I didn't do anything because I was waiting to hear from relief. Meaning as far as if it's, if it's like a crisis, like if it is an eating disorder and, and, you know, someone's waiting to see a pediatrician, let's say, or, or someone's manic and this is a psychiatric issue. Like, don't, don't wait. You can page that emergency number and definitely we would do our best to call you back, but it is not a crisis line. No. Right. And it's like when you call your doctor's office and they say, if this is an emergency, hang up, call 911, right. go to your nearest right. emergency room. This right. is not what right. relief is for. Um, right. so Look, you know, again, we try. We definitely will. Right. We definitely will try. But if, right. you know, with that page and if that's you're not getting that answer, then you've got to You've got to go forward just like anything, you know. Right. And, and I think most emergency rooms are prepared for mental health emergencies as well. I mean, they all should be. Right. Um, Look, and- bottom line is someone has to be safe. You know, we want the experience to be as positive as possible. Look, having to be hospitalized for psychiatric emergency is not going to be fun. Right. Regardless of where you go, it will not be fun. Okay. We want it to be as positive as possible as the, we want to reduce the amount of stress. We want to, we want you to be in a place where you feel confident with where you're going. So if we can help you with all that and you can get through to us, then, you know, and, and, you know, and, and we can help you with that, then, then by all means. But if you can't get through to someone, then as long as the person is safe, you know, even if you go to a, you know, a, a hospital that's not our first choice, mm-hmm. if someone's suicidal, God forbid, they've got to be in the hospital. Right. You know, that's 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 the thing. Right. It's the priority. Mm-hmm. So let's move on to eating disorders, because this is yes. your specialty. And yes. I'm going to just let you start with giving us a background, because there is a wide range of eating disorders. Yes. Yes, there is. So first of all, like I said, you know, we have the two, di- two main divisions in my office. So I also do referrals for ages 15 and up. Mm-hmm. But in addition, they brought me on now it's like 13 years I'm here. They brought me on specifically to do the referrals for eating disorders because eating disorders are so complex. They wanted mm-hmm. one person to really, you know, try and be as knowledgeable as possible in the illnesses and as knowledgeable as possible in different treatment options. So that's, you know, what I do, what I do in addition to the regular referrals. So when it comes to, to eating disorders, the, the, there are a few main types is what we really, we really deal with. So anorexia is the one that's going to, of course, get the most attention. That's Mm -hmm. the one where someone is restricting and they're eating, they're not able to maintain a healthy weight. They have a fear of fat. Um, They have a fear of gaining weight. Um, There's a lot of obsessiveness, it's all eating disorders as far as specifically anorexia are egocentric as well. So what is egocentric? It means it really takes over the person's thinking. You know, if I could have, let's say OCD and part of the diagnostic criteria for having OCD is that I recognize it doesn't make sense. I may not be able to fix it on my own, but I know it doesn't make sense for me to wash my hands so many times a day. When it comes to eating disorders, however, and this is where people really get stuck, this denial 
that they see is really coming from the egocentric nature. The more malnourished someone becomes, the less clearly they think. So you'll have these kids who will be kids or young adults or even adults, you know, who are really, you know, in many ways fighting getting treatment because, Mm -hmm. you know, oh, you know, it's, I'm just being healthy or, or, you know, or it's really not so bad or, you know, I could do this on my own. So anorexia oftentimes gets, gets more attention. And also because of the amenorrhea, because these girls and women will lose their periods as part of the malnutrition, you know, when the body um, isn't getting enough nourishment, it starts to shut down. So one of the first things that, that go are the periods. So that's often, um, you know, in the community, that's one of the big um, warning signs and one of the big pushes that parents and families will have where they will reach out for help. Um, you know, so I would say, thank God for periods because that way people, you know, people take care of, of, of eating disorders. So anorexia is, is the number one. I'm going to interrupt you. And it is, boy, boys can get anorexia too, though. Yes, 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 yes. 100%. Thank you very much for adding that in. Mm-hmm. It's trickier. I think boys and eating disorders in general, I find mm-hmm. in the community, based on my data and my numbers, um, boys have eating disorders pretty much the same rate as they have in the broader community, which is a very small number, much mm-hmm. smaller number, um, generally speaking. But I find it's a very different animal. So yes, because they don't lose their periods. So again, there isn't going to be that big warning sign that parents are going to see. A lot of boys who are getting eating disorders, if they're getting them in high school, they're not home. Many of the boys in the Orthodox community, they're away at school. Um, you know, they're away in yeshiva. So the parents aren't noticing as much, or even if they're home, but they get home so late at night and parents don't think about it as much. Yeah. Um, the boys that I'm seeing with eating disorders, and again, I'm glad that you mentioned that many times it's coming from a place of scrupulosity that there's like an OCD component. Um, they'll have, you know, I'll have boys, let's say, who are very, very religious, um, who are more obsessive, more obsessive, more rigid, um, and they stopped eating or they reduced their intake because, let's say, it affected them going to the bathroom. And they were afraid, if I have to use the bathroom, then I can't pray, then I can't learn. So that started oftentimes being an issue. Or they cut out sugar and fat um, and sweets because to an extreme, because they wanted to be more spiritual. You know, they didn't want to give in to their, to their taivas. They didn't want to give in to their desires. So, you know, that often, often is the case. Um, I can get boys with the next type of eating disorder, which I'm about to describe with bulimia. Um, but that's even bulimia in general is a lot of people can keep that hidden for a long time. Mm-hmm. So all the more so boys who are bulimic, it's even harder. Right, they can um, hide it because, because their weight is often normal. Exactly. So bulimia would be the next eating disorder that we're describing. And that's when, when um, someone can have a weight who can, it can be even overweight um, and bulimic, but oftentimes it's normal, maybe a little bit less than normal sometimes, um, where they're, they'll eat large amounts of food and then they'll purge afterwards. They'll vomit it up afterwards. There's sometimes that they'll um, eat small amounts of food even, but they'll vomit it afterwards. And bulimia is just as life-threatening as anorexia. Um, and, you know, which a lot of people don't realize because they think, well, her weight is fine. Um, when someone is, is constantly purging, it can cause a lot of medical complications. And in addition, it can, um, it can affect the balance of potassium and electrolytes mm-hmm. in the body. Can actually, I had someone once who actually had a heart attack, a young woman in her 30s wow. who had a heart attack. Um, and there was also a male patient, the same thing. Um, so it is a very serious illness, just the same. So a lot of patients with bulimia, there's a lot of shame involved. Um, and you may not have that cognitive impairment as much as the anorexics who are malnourished, but there's a, oftentimes there's um, co-occurring issues. Um, there's depression, 
there can be, like I said, a lot of shame um, that can possibly be a self-harming as well. So bulimia carries its own set of challenges there. So those are really the two, the two big ones. Um, after the, those um, two illnesses, there is also binge eating disorder. So we will get calls from binge eating um, patients with binge eating disorder. Sometimes the binge eaters, you know, I always feel bad because I feel like um, they're a little bit the neglected eating disorder. People are much, much less likely to recognize that their eating habits are something that they need therapy for. They would much rather just say, oh, I just don't have self-control. I need to go on another diet. Um, mm -hmm. Let me try another diet. Let me try another diet. Or I'm just, you know, I'm just, you know, terrible of, you know, a lot of self-loathing again, um, before they actually say, you know what, this is a real problem and I need a therapist. So binge eaters are the ones who are not purging and are not restricting, but they will eat excessive amounts of food in a very short amount of time. And I'm not just talking about like, oh, when someone goes to a kiddish, they say, oh, I binged, I had two pieces of cake. I'm talking about being alone at night and eating the entire mm -hmm. cake, the whole bag of chips and half a bucket of ice cream. Nice. You know, a very large amount of food in a short amount of time where they almost feel like they're just not even aware of what's going on. Um, so the binge eaters are actually quite successful in treatment once they do reach out and it responds very well but I find they're less likely to recognize it. And they're just more likely to say, I just need to try another diet. So the binge eating would be the third, the third type um, there. Right. And what's important to know, mm -hmm. go ahead. I was gonna say, what is the treatment for binge eating that's so successful? So um, there is actually, um, just, I'm not sitting in my office right now, so I don't have the book in front of me. Um, there, there is um, specific cognitive behavioral therapy for binge eating. Um, that really works very well. Binge eating is also one of the few um, illnesses that has a guided self-help that can also be very, very um, helpful. There's um, an, a psychologist and author by the name of Chris Fairburn um, who actually wrote a book that works very, very well on binge eating. It's the type of thing that if you're going to do it on your own, if, it if it's going to work, it will work in four weeks. If it's not going to work in four weeks, it's not going to work. Mm -hmm. It's even more effective when you do it together with a therapist. But each situation, again, that's why we have the eating disorder division. Each situation is unique. So I'm not giving any blanket recommendations, right. but it is <clears throat> in general, though, binge eating, I, th I think on multiple levels, um, because it doesn't have the malnutrition component to it, it doesn't have that cognitive impairment. <clears throat> it doesn't usually come with <clears throat> some of the other mental health complications that that bulimia will come with. Um, so I think, I think it, it, it does respond. It does respond well. Um, right. but Before you start on, I want to, that's another point that I want to make sure we, we spend a little time on when you talk about cognitive impairment, I want to just mm -hmm. spend a little time explaining what you mean by that. Why, what is happening? What I, what I mean is that, you know, I, I explain to parents, I explain to parents and, and, you know, you're the medical professional, so please, you know, add and, and subtract to anything I'm saying or correct. No, you're doing great. But, <laughs> but, you know, what I explain to parents is if you don't eat breakfast and you don't eat lunch, I always say, you know, how patient are you going to be with the kids by supper time? So what happens is the less nutrition the body starts to get. I mean, I think there was, there was, I, I know there was a study, I forgot what it was called um, years ago where they actually, um, I mean, they would never be allowed to do this now, but they, they actually um, withheld food. They had volunteers and they, and they starved them and they recorded what their responses were. And, and what ended up happening is they, that they, I think by default, they became depressed. So depression is definitely, you know, a, a default of malnutrition. Um, they became much more obsessive and rigid. I've had, I've had mm. um, 
parents calling about their teenagers and they said, oh, it's OCD. And then once we started asking more questions about what's going on, and we saw that it was only regarding food and it only started after she lost the weight. It didn't predate her weight loss. That once she got treatment for her eating disorder and she gained the weight, the OCD-like behaviors disappeared. Wow. So with the malnutrition, you get depression, you get rigidity, you get obsessiveness. You know, yeah. and, and that's, again, that's cognitive impairment. I mean, the treatment for adolescents, and I know now we're skipping ahead, mm -hmm. but the treatment for adolescents with eating disorders is something that's called FBT. Mm -hmm. FBT stands for family-based therapy. It has the, the highest rate of recovery and the lowest rate of relapse of, of any evidence-based treatment for, um, for, you know, adolescents. And, and the focus, and, and parents are often confused because the, the focus is broken into three phases, which I love because there's a beginning, middle, and an end. And the focus is really just getting the food in. Like there's no right. talk about your feelings. There's no, let's hear what's going on with you. I mean, again, there might be minimal bits along the way, but the primary focus is we've just got to get the food in because the philosophy behind this is they're pre-treatment. You can't do therapy with an eating right. disorder. You can do Not therapy with clearly. a person. Right. They can't think clearly. But the question exactly. I have here is you mentioned OCD and I, I do believe that um, OCD is often goes along with, you know, as a separate disorder. Mm -hmm. I'm wondering if someone who already has OCD is more at risk and that the malnutrition state would exacerbate the OCD. You've got it a hundred percent, a hundred percent. If someone has OCD already to begin with um, and then it starts to like as will what is normal with OCD oftentimes is it kind of morphs mm -hmm. you know it may start with one thing and then it can kind of like evolve or attach itself onto something else so you know uh, someone who has OCD can very easily be triggered into an eating disorder and you need to be super careful with that you need to be super careful with that um, because exactly what you said you know if it starts getting into the food that's why also let's say um that's why recommendations to the right people are so important because mm -hmm. I've had cases before where let's say there was a girl with OCD and um, she wasn't eating well. Let's say either she was a little heavy or she started to lose weight and mom gets nervous. So what does mom do? She says, okay, go to a nutritionist. So she sends her to a nutritionist who has no experience in eating disorders or any background in mental health. And oh, the no. nutritionist starts to have exactly you're saying, oh no, already has got her weighing her food. No. and measuring her food telling and which foods are good about... foods and bad foods no exactly exactly Aww. so that's why it's so important that you go to the right people and that if you know my child has this sort of predisposition already that you are very careful because that does make them more does make them more at risk and and then when you've got a combination of severe ocd and then malnutrition it definitely can evolve into an eating disorder and that's often the harder cases Right. I mean, I kind of think of it as grooves in the brain that just keep digging deeper and deeper right, right. and deeper. Definitely. And parallel Definitely. to that would be anxiety. I'm, I'm I'm pretty sure that anxiety is often highly associated. Right. Yeah. A hundred percent. Same kind of thing. All Look, anything, you know, I, I always say like I can have five girls. The reason why also eating disorders are so complex to treat sometimes is because I can have five girls standing in front of me and they all have the exact same symptoms of the eating disorder. Right. They mm -hmm. all have the exact same symptoms. But each one is coming from a different place. One of them could have the anxiety. The other one could have the OCD. One of them, God forbid, could have been sexually abused. Right. Another one, let's say there's a lot of stress in, in their life. The parents got divorced or, you know, very low self-esteem. There has to be a fertile ground that gets triggered into the eating disorder. So the more fertile your ground is, the more easier you are going to be triggered. And unfortunately, we live in a society where, 
you know, being thin is, is the ideal, unfortunately, however much we try and protect ourselves. So there are going to be those triggers everywhere you turn. Right. So and it's definitely something you have to Right. And from a preventative standpoint, first of all, this is something that I really focus on a lot. If people listen to my podcast, you can scroll back and see how many we've done on body image, on how to mm-hmm. raise girls with a healthy, you know, self-esteem and body image, mm-hmm. on intuitive eating, which I don't know if you want to get to or not. I mean, it's so, so important from a preventative standpoint. There is so much we can do. Right. Right. But you can't you control know, everything. So, so when you say prevention, of course, I, I want to be careful because you cannot control everything that happens to your child. Only Hashem's in control, right? right. You can't control whether something's going to happen to them or certain triggers. And you can't control whether they have OCD or anxiety tendencies. You can't right. control family stress. So there are some, and there are genetic predispositions, right? So right. Right. I did a talk actually with a physician who was um, able to share her story. Um, it's an amazing um, episode. And we talked about some of these factors are preventable and some are not. And the interaction of, you know, you, you can only do what you can do, but I'm giving you a segue to talk about what you can do. The prevention. Right. right. No, for sure. So just um, the only other thing that we just skipped, though, because um, I mean, like I've got so much to say and I don't want to I, I don't want to lose out on this. And I appreciate the opportunity. Um, the the last real as far as the eating disorders, though, and as far as the types, what is important to know is that sometimes, you know, someone can have an eating disorder and it doesn't fit exactly. Right into the diagnostic criteria. And it, and, it, and and I don't want someone to say, well, she's doing this, but she's not doing that. So it must be, she's okay. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there, there is something called um, OSFED, otherwise specified feeding and eating disorder, you know, or it used to be, you know, it used to be called EDNOS, eating disorder, not otherwise specified. And then they can say, well, you've got anorexia with a bulimia subtype, what, whatever the case is, you know, it, it doesn't have to fit exactly into the box, but those are the main ones. The other one, um, I think you you coined the term, you know, the new eating disorder on the block would be right. ARFID. Mm-hmm. ARFID is A-R-F-I-D, are the letters it stands for, and it stands for Avoidant Restrictive Food Intake Disorder. Mm-hmm. And that's really, um, you know, different, definitely very different, but that's more, I, I call it like picky eating on steroids. Um, most of the time, these cases, and we're definitely getting a lot of them lately, um, mm-hmm. I get them when the kids are very little. Um, we're talking like eight or nine years old, 10 years old is pretty much the average. And these are the kids that were picky eaters since they were born. Um, And the pediatrician said, oh, you know, just give them more time. They'll grow out of it. They'll grow out of it. And then by the time they're eight or nine, they haven't grown out of it. And the parents are just exhausted because it's not just I'll only eat pizza. It's I'll only eat this frozen pizza from this company. And you put in the toaster. And if it gets a little black on it, I'm not touching it. So the parents are just exhausted because they're the ones that are trying so hard to cook the schnitzel just right to get the exact brand of the food that they want. Um, I had one case where the family couldn't eat anything flaccid because the the little boy just couldn't handle the smell. He actually had to sit there with a with a, a jar of basamim, you know, of spices wow. to to tap because he just couldn't handle the smell. So it's really the picky eating that's gone to the extreme and we'll have two different kinds of kids. The most concerning ones are the ones that just are not growing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, really they're just not gaining enough weight. They're always hungry. They're always cranky. Um, and you know, they're just not reaching their milestones on their, on their growth curve. And I will have also sometimes, which is an interesting one. I have the opposite in that the kids who are very heavy, I've had kids with ARFID who are very heavy because the only foods that are their safe foods are the foods that are high in calorie and very low in nutritional value. The only thing they will eat is pasta mm-hmm. and, and, you know, and, and, and bagels and, um, you know, and, and, and snack bags. Right. I have to chime in here for a minute. Thing. 
Right, I have to chime in as a pediatrician for just a minute. Please. Um, so, so one subgroup of this ARFID um, class is kids with um, ADHD or even on the autism spectrum. Um, and some of them are so picky, I, I've seen them get scurvy. Mm, so you're right, their weight can be completely normal, but they may be eating only three foods. Right. So they do right. fit into that right. category if they're eating so few mm -hmm. foods that they're not able to get proper nutrition. Um, right. Another thing you mentioned was sensory issues. So you may not may not be on the spectrum. They may not have ADHD, but the sensory issues is often a common association. Right. Now the challenge with ARFID is, um, you know, these are also kids who are probably going to be a little bit more rigid. They have a harder time transitioning. Mm -hmm. um, you know, from one activity to the other, they are a little bit more rigid with specific things. Um, the challenge with ARFID is it's a newer diagnosis. So anything that's a newer diagnosis, it is also going to be um, newer for, for to be treated. So there aren't going to be a lot of people out there that are successfully right. doing ARFID. FBT, which is what I mentioned before for um, anorexia and adolescents, has shown some success. But there's even, I mean, there's a great new um, treatment now coming out of Duke University. Um, there's a wonderful psychologist there by the name of Dr. Nancy Zucker. And um, it's called, she's, she's named it FBI. I know she's actually been writing a book. FBI mm -hmm. stands for Food and Body Investigators. Cool. And it's a super user-friendly um, treatment for parents and kids both together. It's making them again aware of when they're hungry, making them aware of a lot of the kids will complain about stomach aches. So that's why it's Food and Body Investigators, that there mm -hmm. aren't bad foods. It's just like, you know, interesting foods um what would that be like to try it it's just it's it's much more complex than how i'm describing it but that's i mean the, i i was just privileged enough to to pop into one or two zoom trainings that they were having now for this wow. so so arfid is treatable um but it is newer the diagnosis so it is sometimes harder to find someone who really knows what they're doing so that 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 is the the challenge but those are and and again those are coming out um, when they're, when they're, you know, really eight or nine is often where I get it. And, and surprisingly, it's more with boys than with girls. Mm -hmm. um, it's a little bit more common with boys than with girls. And the main difference between, um, you know, cause sometimes I'll have parents who think, okay, my kid has anorexia. And, mm -hmm. and the main difference is that this is not a child who doesn't want to eat because they don't want to be fat. This is a child who wants to eat, just doesn't have the foods that they like, or doesn't have a, doesn't have a, have enough of them. But it has nothing to do with a fear of fat. It has nothing to do with their body image, with being slim or looking a certain way. It's really just the foods themselves they can't tolerate and they just don't like. Um, so that's you know that's that's the, the challenge there. Right. I, I want to add just in a few other little sure. typical scenarios because um, I'm seeing this. You know, I'm seeing more of this than I'm seeing the classic eating disorders right now don't know why. Um, so one subcategory is a child who's had a bad experience. They may have choked on something. Yes, 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 yes. So that, I don't know if that would be a subcategory of ARFID or that, because sometimes we just, we treat that almost like a trauma. I've had people who, again, if they've choked on something, again, it becomes like a phobia. Mm -hmm. um, they've, they've choked on something. This is, these are the ones when I get the little case, the little guys, right? And the parents think it's maybe it's anorexia and it's not. That's that's such a great example that you gave. You know, these are the ones that they, they choked on something and now they're nervous or they saw someone throw up mm -hmm. and now they've got this phobia. Well, I don't want to throw up, so right. I can't, I can't eat. So it's really treated like a phobia um, with, you know, cognitive behavioral therapy and exposure response prevention. It's treated a little bit like an OCD or like a phobia. Um, the main thing is though, you want to get it right away because the more malnourished they become, right. 
then we get it gets more complicated. Right. And I mean, I think that's how difficult. you divide it between a phobia um, is when the child is already restricting calories. They're restricting calories not because they think they're overweight, but because they're afraid of vomiting in public, of something for example, happened, or right. they were afraid because they choked in the past, or they were exactly. afraid of being, you know, disgusted by the sensation of it. All of these things fall into the same category of it's more than just a phobia if you are already restricting calories to the point of being underweight. Right. But the thing, the thing is, though, again, with the ARFID, ARFID is typically like since they were little. Um, what you're describing with the choking, with the vomiting, that would have been a kid who was eating fine. And then something happened. Right. So know, there's different subcategories. I mean, I right, actually right. just finished mm -hmm. an insert, you know, a CME mm -hmm. article on this, and they had all these categories. And I think right. the right. definition is not by how long, long standing it is. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, it's a new diagnosis. This came out in 2013. So I think maybe when you start out with a new diagnosis, you look at the most classic cases, and then you realize right. it's a spectrum and there's different presentations. Right. And so right. I think that these are all, and these are all, you know, patients that I've seen very varieties of that I think right. do, do still fit into the ARFID category. Right. Okay. That but I think sense. that the point that you're making of how long lasting it is, it's still the same point. You know, prevention partly is just catching it early enough. It'll be so right. much easier to treat. Right. I think one no, of the definitely. problems of the children who have been thin forever, right, right, is that it's been going on forever. Right. You can't correct that malnourishment as quickly as you can a more acute, you know, quicker onset of weight loss. Right. No, definitely. Mm -hmm. Definitely. So um, that is that is a big challenge. I'm wondering whether you're seeing a rise during the pandemic, like I feel like I am. So that 100%, I mean, it was interesting because, you know, when the pandemic hit, you know, just even even socially, like all of my colleagues agreed, you know, people would, would say to us, oh, you must be so busy, you must be so busy. And and we were, we were like laughing amongst ourselves because like the phones weren't ringing mm -hmm. in the beginning because mm -hmm. I think mm -hmm. everyone was just so shocked right. and so overwhelmed and just trying to survive mm -hmm. um, and get through the day that nobody was like, okay, I need, I need to go get a therapist now. You either had your current therapist if you were in the middle of an issue or if there was an issue that came up you just couldn't handle it, it was like you know I, I I you know I say make a joke it's like the same thing with with um going to the dentist or or certain routine medical things like nothing happened like right. nobody was going to the dentist then like if you had a cavity you just managed we all you know unless them. you know uh, you know unless there was something that was truly urgent and then afterwards it was like everybody was sort of just like digging themselves after the, the big crunch in the beginning, you know, they were just sort of like digging themselves out of their holes and figuring out, okay, what needs to be fixed here? Like, okay, you know, which one of my kids needs a tutor? Which one needs to go to the dentist? Which one needs a this? What do we have to do for therapy? So then the numbers started coming up again and people started calling. And then we had people who were like, okay, um, you know, now we need to get resources. And then it was also finding the resources because therapists I found out and doctors, they're people too, you know? So, yeah. yeah, exactly. So they also had kids at home. They also had to cut their hours. They also had limited availability. They were also navigating doing this via Zoom right. when they had they never want, done it, when, right. you know, when they had never be done person. it before. Right. A lot of people so are doing tele and some people exactly. want therapy in person. I'm sorry. It's a risk to the therapist. Right, right. So, you know, what I'm saying so that was, you know, sort of figuring that out. And then I feel like now that's where we're up to then is where the crash happened. I find there were so many people that were doing right. well before. Mm -hmm. And then either, uh, you know, parents sent them to camp, they had the opportunity to send them to camp, they just sent them because they'd been cooped up in the house for so long, and the camp opened, and they just sent them, even though they knew it wasn't the best thing, or kids who really, the parents thought they were doing well, but now that they were home, they said, Oh, my gosh, they're really not eating. Mm -hmm. Or the kids that being with all the family members and the stress and the difficulty or parents being with the family members and the stress and the difficulty just really triggered a big regression. 
Right, so I mean, what I'm, definitely. Mm -hmm. What I'm seeing though is that in the beginning, I think you know when you're in an emergency, you pull together. Mm -hmm. And I think it's so much later you're digging out that may be a part of it. But I think also that once we came out, everybody did different things. Some people were careful. Some people were not. Some people wore masks. Some people did not. Right. right. Um, and I think that that uncertainty was much more difficult and I think led to a lot more anxiety. Plus the spread of COVID once we came out and it started, you know, the second wave right. came. Right. Right. And we're tired. No, and we're so <laughs> tired. Right. <laughs> Yeah, no, look, definitely. And I think it and I think it is, you know, when you know, it's hard to connect to resources, you kind of push off trying to find the resources. Mm -hmm. And and there were a lot of people, you know, people ask me, does therapy, does therapy on zoom really help? You know, and, and I tell them, look, it's not, you know, I only say it in Hebrew, I don't know the English equivalent, you know, it's, 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 it's not, you know, it's right. not, it's not, you know, our best case scenario, but we're not living in a best case scenario right. world. We're living in a right. bedevid world. Right. Don't let perfect be the enemy of as good as you're going to get. Exactly. Exactly. So I think that was, that was a lot of it. But then there, you know, so I, I, I think across the board, I, I don't think we really, I mean, thank God we are resilient people on, on a whole are resilient. I think Jews are resilient, mm -hmm. but we've really gone through a tremendous amount and it's not over yet. Right. So I, it's definitely been much, much more difficult now. So there are people, a lot of people I think who are doing well that were just really triggered and, and, and fell apart. Um, I don't know if I had so many brand new cases. I mean, definitely July was a very busy month. I had a lot of kids who were finally going to the pediatrician mm -hmm. that hadn't gone right. You know, it's always right before camp. And I, and I talk about eating disorders a lot with adolescents, but you know, it, it, it really, I get a lot of adults also, but I think the eating, this, the, the adolescents, uh, they make a little more noise in my mind. And, and I think we, there's more in some ways, more that we could do aggressively and, and, and proactively um, than someone who's unfortunately had an eating disorder for a long time. But, um, but a lot of, I always get like right before the summer, especially when you had some camps opening, some camps not opening. Um, that's when I get a lot more cases because it's like, oh my gosh, we just took her to the pediatrician for a well visit and she right. lost, you know, 17, 18 pounds from last year and she grew two inches. Right. You won't know unless you go and get weight. So exactly, exactly, exactly. Can we talk about prevention now? Yes, please. I love prevention. I love prevention, you know, and I, and I, you know, eating disorders, I feel more than any other mental health issue, you know, has the greatest room for prevention. You know, you can't prevent OCD. You can't prevent um, depression. You know, you can't prevent so many, you can't prevent bipolar disorder. Um, you know, you can try and, and, and make those things more manageable. You know, you can try and be more prepared but you really can't prevent it. And eating disorders, I definitely think it's, 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 it's very, it's very different. Um, what, what I've been able to do and what I've seen in the past, you know, through my opportunities that I had at Relief and in being connecting with some of the top clinicians out there, um, I was able to connect with someone by the name of Dr. Catherine Loeb. Um, so Catherine, you know, if she ever hears this, she's going to laugh, but she's like, she's like my, my, my Rav, my Rebetzin, my Rosh Hashiva, my professor, my professor. And, you know, I just, she's phenomenal. She's just phenomenal. And she's really an expert in the field of eating disorders and, and adolescents and women's mental health. And I had the opportunity to be in touch with her. And she, at that point, she was working at Fairleigh Dickinson University. And one of her doctoral students wanted to do a prevention, wanted to do her dissertation on a prevention program. She took an eating disorder prevention program from the secular community. It was called the Body Project. And what she did was that she said, okay, I want to make a cultural adaptation for the Orthodox Jewish community. Wow. And she asked me to come on board to be the cultural consultant, if you will, 
with um, trying to make it as culturally as appropriate as we can. So the theory behind prevention with eating disorders in general is it, it is tricky because, you know, there's a fine line between, you know, making triggering comments Mm-hmm. and actual prevention. So, you know, people have talked about in the past, okay, well, let's have someone go to the schools and tell the kids eating disorders are bad, mm-hmm. you know, and, and that has, has, there's nothing at all to support that. Unfortunately, if anything, there's been a lot of data to show that that's ineffective because mm-hmm. what that can often do is be very triggering. Eating disorders do have a little bit of a contagion factor. And that's why you have to be very careful with what you're reading, what you're letting your kids read, you know, and that it's not something that's describing a lot of symptoms and behaviors. So once we found out, okay, you know, if we talk to kids about eating disorders, that's not going to be helpful. So what do we do? So what this program has been so helpful is, is that the, the body project works on, um, it works on combating the thin ideal. Mm-hmm. The philosophy behind this is if, you know, I don't want to say everything starts with a diet. Okay. But we talked about having that fertile ground mm-hmm. right before. So if we can stop that fertile ground from being triggered into an eating disorder, that's where the prevention is. So how do we prevent it from being triggered into the eating disorder? If we can work on body dissatisfaction, if we can work on thin ideal internalization, if we can work on those things, then that can stop us from getting into that. I want to be skinny and do it and starting with those negative behaviors. So what the body project really does is based on the foundation of cognitive dissonance. It works on combating the thin ideal. It has you say, right. Um, and, and, you know, say, right. And think um, different activities that go against this thin ideal internalization. So it really works on, you know, I mean, you know, for lack of a better way of describing it on, on convincing you or helping you convince yourself being skinny is really not good. And we're being, not only that, but we're really being um, tricked, if you will, by the media. And it goes through that. So we did this, we had this opportunity to do this um, adaptation. Um, and we actually did a pilot study and we, we ran this, it's a four session intervention. It's, so it's a workshop with students where it doesn't discuss eating disorders per se. It talks about, again, this thin ideal. And, and what is the thin ideal and where does it come from? And is it really something that's attainable? And what are the negative effects of trying to attain this unattainable goal? And it gets them motivated and it really, in many ways, gets them fired up into, you know, and in, into working against it um, and stopping themselves from promoting it because there's so many ways that we promote the thin ideal with e- without even recognizing it. So, you know, that's very much been, been a, a very strong focus and it's a program that, you know, I don't know if this is, this is where you wanted to go and talking about, you know, prevention and I don't want to be, you know, standing on, 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 on a, on a soapbox here, right. um, you know, just pushing one method, but that's really been, been very, very effective um, at, at, at combating, um, the thin ideal and really preventing any source and, and the data proves it. And that's, what's fantastic. Cause I love data. I love science. Mm-hmm. I love data. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just shows that it does, it, it prevents eating disorders. It also prevents obesity. And I'm talking about the main, you know, the body project in its purest form. We also had similar results from the time that we did it. Um, but the body project in its purest form, it prevents eating disorders, it prevents obesity, and it improves negative affect 
which again, you know, how we feel about ourselves is so intertwined with how we look, unfortunately. Right, right. now is this project available to students now? Yeah, so um, so again, I don't want this to be an ad, an, an, an infomercial or an advertisement, but um, you know, we do what we what we have done is we did our we did our pilot study, which which we got great results, which we were thrilled with, and now we're just trying. And again, it's in my spare time because this is something extra I'm doing. We're trying to get this out to more schools. So we've actually um, I don't want to say we renamed it, but in in trying to make it as culturally as appropriate as possible, there are some communities that don't like saying body, so okay. calling it the body project you know, we felt, with, you know, was going to be an issue. So we've actually um, renamed it um, Project Everybody. Okay. And, um, and we actually have a website now with information about it. And we've already given it out to a couple schools. I do the training. It's, it's based on a train the trainers model where um, I come in and I give like a, it's a four hour in service to the teachers or the staff, whoever is going to be giving it over to the students. Cause it's really most effective when it comes from someone in the school. Um, and then they, they then take it and they, and they give it over to their, to their students. And we've already done it in a couple of high schools and, and they just, they just love it. So it's, which, which it's fabulous. I'm just curious. So school? sure. In Toronto, um, uh, of course I've forgotten the exact name. Oh, in Toronto, um, but how about, how about in New York? <laughs> no, 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 for sure. For sure. For sure. Um, we did it in Beishai Mushka in Crown Heights. Okay. Um, um, and there's a couple other schools that are also interested, but you know, it's something that we're doing in our spare time. It's not, it's not a moneymaker, right. you know, we have, um, you know, we, we have um, some supporters who are, I mean, I think there's value, there has to be a price on everything for there to be a value to it. So I would love mm -hmm. to just give this free to everybody. Um, but, you know, we do have supporters that um, are subsidizing, subsidizing our costs so that no school would ever not be able to do it because of the cost. That's amazing. What, what is the website? Um, so it is our project, everybody. Ourprojecteverybody.com. Very new. Yeah, it's very new. So I just Our want to make sure that I'm saying it. We're very excited that it's up and that it's up and running. I'm checking this out. Yeah, please do. So yeah, I do so have it's, mm -hmm. yeah, ourprojecteverybody.com. Okay, perfect. Um, and the, the fabulous thing was, again, this is another thing, you know, about relief because we, we do have connections to such great people out there. We, when we did the adaptation, you know, I did it together with Dr. Rilo, but we did it with the originators of the first body project. We did wow. it with Dr. Eric Stice as well. And he was very involved. So, you know, it's, 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 you know, something that we put a lot of time and effort into, but the main thing is, and this is where I think it's good for your listeners to know, aside from this, let's say they don't have high school students, let's say, no, they don't have kids in high school. Let's say they, they're not looking for something like this. There is so much that we can do. And this mm -hmm. is something that you learn in, in doing, you know, the bot and doing the body project and doing these little workshops. There are so many things that we say that we don't realize are really perpetuating this thin ideal without our even noticing it. You know, um, I once saw an advertisement um, for an eating disorder program or whatever it was. And, and it had a mom standing in front of a mirror and she was like, kind of like checking out her hips and how she looked. And it was like a very dissatisfied grimace on her face. And her little girl was sitting in the corner behind her watching. Mm. And there's so much that we don't realize, you know, we say, oh, I shouldn't have eaten that cake. I can't believe I ate it. Or, oh, I'm so, I need to lose weight before the wedding. And, and even when we, when we meet people, oh my gosh, you look so good. Did you lose weight? Right. There's so much we don't realize how the thin ideal has it's just how it's sort of crept into every aspect of our lives. I mean, if you look at even the most religious magazines now, you know, out there, um, there's always going to be some mention of a diet, some nutritionist advertising, some low calorie, new frozen yogurt. You know, there's just it's dieting has become so much of our culture 
and, and there's nothing Jewish about it. You know what I'm saying? Like it's nothing. And, and I think that's one of the main things that people learn from our program. And I think that I think people need to know in general, even, you know, aside from our prevention program is that, you know, you talk about these kids with the OCD, you talk about these kids who are anxious, these kids with that little bit of a fertilized ground. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and the parents have to realize that they need to be more aware of what they're saying and what they're doing around these kids, that there are things that they can do. You know, like in, in my, in my house, there's no bad foods and good foods, right? Mm -hmm. If you want a bag of chips, you can have a bag of chips, but take it with an apple and a cup of milk, maybe. I mean, I know that's an interesting combination, mm -hmm. but just take some balance. Cause if you're really feeling hungry right now, that's probably not going to fill you up. You know, it's not like, oh, that's too many calories or that's too fattening, or you're going to get fat. And I think even parents don't realize, and this is a pediatrician, this is your job, you know, which I'm sure you're telling them, they, they don't realize they get very nervous. I get, I get a lot of parents who, you know, the kid became 12, 13 before puberty, you know, right. that started to get hungrier because their bodies were growing, started to make some, you know, start going to the pantry a little more, going to the fridge a little more. Parents start getting nervous. Parents start getting nervous. They start making comments. Don't eat that. Don't eat that. Don't eat that. Right. We you have know, a whole you separate have talk on, 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 you know, obesity in a non-shaming way, a whole separate talk, which by the way, the endocrinologist I did it with, we obsessed over for a full week before doing, because it's such a sensitive topic. Even how we talked about it, we wanted to be sensitive. Um, right. And I, right. I also want to say um, that there was an, there was actually a, a column in the Jewish papers. And it was actually Rabbi Yitzi Ross, who's actually a Rebbe in South Shore, where my boys went. And mm -hmm. the question he had was of a mother of a nine-year-old, my child's eating too much. He's getting too much weight. I'm worried about Shaduchim. Right. Nine. We hadn't mentioned Shaduchim yet. This kid is nine. Right. Right. So that's really, again, the, 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 the main the main premise behind behind the thin ideal is really where is it where is it coming from right where is this coming from and and in truth it's really coming from the media and this is a longer discussion than for the right. time we have left but you know it's it's really coming from the media every advertisement that you see is there to make you feel that there's something wrong with you and if you buy their product it will make it better whether it's making your complexion more perfect, whether it's making you look happier, whether it's all of these things. And now with Instagram, with social media, with all of these things, and you see these perfect families and you're just bombarded with images, right? All these images of what people should look like, right? The average, I, I don't have it right in front of me, but, the, but I think it was something like the average American woman is like five, four and a hundred and let's say 65 pounds or something, right? And the average model that's modeling for this American woman is like five ten and one fifteen. Right. You know, but this is you know? true for the for the most from communities too, though. That it's exactly exactly. I don't care whether you have a smartphone or a stupid phone. No, a hundred percent. Whether you use the 100%. internet or not, it's in there. It's in our shidduch worlds. Where we put. I even once when we, on we were doing the when we were doing the research for this project, I actually reached out mm -hmm. to because we were talking about this. We're like, okay, there are those who who say there are those who have complete access to internet in the community then there are those who have limited right and they're doing a lot of shopping i was i you know i laugh zara like whoever shops on zara i feel like they get their models straight from the eating disorder units Aww. like they get discharged and they you know zara is the worst so they're seeing these images those that have minimal internet use because a lot of them are shopping online now online is very common even if you have limited but then there are those so let's say there are those we were looking at and we're like okay what about those that don't that just don't so first of all any billboards any advertisements you go to the mall you know the outfits are pinned the mannequins couldn't menstruate if they were people right right so they're showing you these these you know these these images Distorted. even you know when you're going and then but not only that i i actually interviewed 
I went to one of the from clothing stores and I asked them if they could give me, you know, some of the contact names and numbers of their Orthodox Jewish clothing manufacturers. Like I wanted to hear from them. And I remember interviewing this one woman and she was saying that it was a big challenge for her because everyone was requesting slimmer cuts. Everyone was requesting, even on pajamas. And she said like she, she struggled with it as a from woman in doing what she felt was right, but also in making the customers happy. So here she is, you know, a Orthodox clothing manufacturer, right? No internet, nothing. She's, you know, Orthodox clothing manufacturer. You go into your from store, and she said everybody wants thinner, thinner cuts. And I even like my my one of my one of my children. Like she knows already. We go to the store, and I'm like, we don't look at sizes. We don't look at sizes. The sizes, I tell, Ugh, these sizes are so crazy. These sizes don't make sense. They differ for different manufacturers. Exactly. You can't look good on you. Right, but you, but different everyone's like, I want to be a size shapes. zero. I want to be a size zero. I want to be a size zero. So we don't want to be any size, you know? Yeah, I'm, I'm putting but, a plug for two things here. One is intuitive please. eating. One is intuitive eating, which we didn't get to. And just people can listen to the to the talk on that. And again, this is not medical advice. Everybody's different. This is not a treatment for eating disorders, but intuitive eating sort of teaches you to get the opposite of the diet culture, to learn how to eat with pleasure and moderation, right? That's Yeah, um, I think that's great. Not for patients that have had an eating disorder, but definitely for those that are just struggling with a lot of disordered eating or just feeling disordered happiness right. with their relationship with food 100 percent, yeah into or you know past the recovery stage because mm-hmm. it is it can be helpful um for people with a prior history of eating disorder but not not it's not a treatment um and the other point that i wanted to make was um i actually forgot oh gosh um so sorry, intuitive eating, oh, health in any size so health at every size um i'm gonna get some people are gonna be mad at me for talking about this and plugging up a little bit but i i just want to plug the the basic concept there are some people who do take it to a more of an extreme that there's no such thing as obesity um but i think that the basic concept of different bodies have different sizes that they're healthy at and it's the opposite of the thin culture you know you right. need to have healthy habits more than a specific weight or a specific size Right. Um, so I think that that's very valuable. And there's a lot of therapists and nutritionists that do follow that and that will not, you know, be triggers for, yes. for eating yes. disorders. Yes, no, 100 percent. Because 100%. say if you have a child, you know, I do see this all the time, kids who are gaining weight in puberty and they really do need to learn, need to learn how to eat healthy. But we don't want them to have the kind of nutritionist that's going to have them weighing their food and counting the right. calories and plating it out. So you may want to keep your eye open for a health at every size with the caveat right. from me saying as a physician, it is not true that you cannot be unhealthy at 180. Well, there are unhealthy weights. Um, and we're not talking about that. And one right. more thing I want to say um, is that Rabbi Rusk gave a great point. He said, um, we should be teaching the boys not to look for sizes. Why are we saying, why are the, the Shadchan saying, I have a great girl for you. She's a size zero. So I think, and this is also coming as a mother, because I have two sons in Shadokim now also. Mm-hmm. I think, I, I see it more as everyone wants the beautiful girl. Mm-hmm. Everyone wants the beautiful girl. I think our vision of beauty is what has changed. Right. And I know myself, you know, and I've, and, and for, for looking for, for girls, for my own boys, you know, I, I don't need that size zero. I don't want that size zero. And, and I'm, and I'm happier to take someone who's fuller figured. I would have no problem with that. But then I want to know what's her relationship with her body. Is she miserable? Right. Is she miserable? Is she always on diets? You know, is she busy with it? But I think it's, I think it's our vision of beauty has changed. We always wanted the beautiful girl, mm-hmm. right? And, the, and always in, in, in Shadduchim. It's just that our vision of beauty has changed. And that goes back to what are we being told is beautiful? Right. And what are we being shown is beautiful? And that's, and that's the thing. So I think not focusing on don't want the size zero, but focusing on well, what's really important. Having that conversation with your boys. What is really important to you? 
And, and you know, and what do you think, and, and, and why is that? And where is that coming from? You know, I think that's that's definitely definitely something really important. That is beautiful. And I, I want to thank you so much for your time. We could talk forever about this and yeah. we're be done. But I do want to say sure. that people can listen to the other episodes of the podcast. There are, I don't know, maybe five or six or more of them to augment this one with an eating disorder and some with an eating disorder on on um, weight issues, on healthy eating for children from the earliest ages. There's so many that we've done. Um, so people can listen to those and, and augment this. And I want to thank you so, so much for doing this with me. You're so knowledgeable and this is so informative. Please, please. This was this, this was a lot of fun. This is really a lot of fun, and I appreciate your time. And I've I've checked out some of your other podcasts, and I think they're all fantastic. And I've recognized some of the names of the people you interviewed, so I, I feel very honored that you included me with that well, with that crowd. I've been chasing you. I'm honored to have you. <laughs> all right, great. Thank you Thanks so, so much. much. Be well. Take care. Thanks for listening to the Joma Preventative Health Podcast. If you've enjoyed this, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and share this with your friends. For more information, check out our Instagram at joma underscore org. Check out our website, www.joma.org, that's J-O-W-M-A dot org, or email us at health at joma.org.